You're listening to Honest Participants Only, a Dream Days Experience podcast. I recently had a chat with Paul Bordeaux, somebody I've known for 100 years, literally 100 years, okay, not literally. Um, The chat was great and Paul shared some really powerful insights with me and now with you. I'll be honest though, due to technical issues, I had to re-record some of my questions post-interview. So if I sound like a late night host for an underground movement, please forgive me. We work with what we have. Anyway, enough explaining. Here you go. Enjoy. So I've got you down as being a portfolio consultant and coach. What does that mean? Basically, I do what the hell I like. Um, oh. uh, I'm most of my work's around charities, education, uh, project management, uh, and consulting within those spaces. Um, so I don't really speak, stick to one industry or area or sector and so I can go into organizations and make sense of things really quickly and uh, give direction and kind of project manage uh, projects Um, and then I also do coaching as well. That's fantastic. I know a secret about you. Okay it's a very widely known secret but you sing don't you? Yeah. Who's the most notable person that you sung with or for? Stevie Wonder was a highlight, probably the biggest highlight. Yeah, that was amazing. Um, Being in a room with this icon, uh, and I remember when we were at Elstree Studios, I think it was, and um, he was sat at the piano, we were in rehearsals, and he just started making up a song, and we just stood there in utter silence and respect and awe of of this man how do you go on to function after a moment like that you don't you just appreciate the moment for what it is and you sit in that moment and i guess i just commit myself to being present right there and then what other things in your life could you say have really motivated you to do better It's one of the arguments that I have internally about what better looks like for me. So, and that's probably a flaw in me or or some, a real challenge, a barrier that I've got to overcome because I think I can experience these moments and sit in the moment like I did with the Stevie Wonder moment, but then, but then what? And I, maybe I'm not as good as doing the but then what? Therefore, I think I look back at all my experiences and I minimize them, frankly. I don't know that I totally use those moments for betterment, and probably I should. But actually, now that you've asked the question, I'm going to contradict myself because I think there are many other moments that I've had that are not surrounding music that have also motivated me. So, for example, I remember my grandfather's funeral was a moment when I felt inspired and motivated because it was the first time I ever felt and acknowledged that I was a man and I was 30. And it was the most uh, epic moment um, when my 
all-female family, including my grandmother, they'd say to me, okay, Paul, you run this funeral for us today. You look after granny, you ride with granny, you look after this funeral, get us through it. And I'm like, <clears throat> and so I have a moment when I either crumble or I acknowledge that I'm going to step up to the plate now and this moment is a defining moment for me. What was the barrier to thinking you were a man before the age of 30? I think it was a number of things. I think I I was a middle child. And because I was so shy, I was deeply shy when I was a kid. And, um, and so I was the one that was always hiding behind my mum's uh, maxi 1970s dress. And they were having to prize me uh, from behind my mum's dress to say hello to people that, frankly, I'd known for all of my seven years in this world. And so I remember those moments when my shyness was so pronounced. And then being a middle child. So I was shy, being a middle child. I think all of those moments, I would continue continue to relive these childhood moments. And even when I then became the older brother, uh, and it was funny because I was talking to uh, my dad and my sister about this, that even though my immediate family never put pressure on me to be the oldest, it was other people's words that resonated more than their than their non-words. So when we'd go to church, for example, and people say, oh, you're the older brother now, they had no idea that internally that created, created such conflict for me because I never asked to be the older brother. I didn't want to be the older brother. And what I'll say for our listeners, especially those who don't know you, with your permission, of course, is that you lost your brother, your older brother, at a very young age. I was 11, you know, and and so when you consider that I was deeply shy, I was the middle child, was happy to just skim under the radar, then at 11, when my brother passes away, um, I then become the older brother, I didn't ask for it, I didn't want it. I discovered that I'm a reluctant star. Never wanted it, never asked for it. But everything I did after I was 11 was finding myself in front of people. And so the nerves up to this day are still there. The anxiety before I have to go out, it's still there. And I think I've just learned coping strategies to be able to get around that. But internally, it's still there. So how do you quieten the anxiety and negative thoughts that threaten to keep you pre-30? I think some, day, some days I'm good at it and some days I'm terrible at it. <laughs> uh, some days it can overwhelm me. Other days I can pull up my big girl knickers and be like, okay, come, we've got to do this. And I think it's it's one of the things that, now that you're causing me to reflect on it, it's one of the things that I actually do quite well, being able to quieten my pre-30 
30 voice. I don't think we ever get over these things. I think we, we can become intentional about turning the volume down on it. And I guess those are the moments when you really do find how much you can flourish, how much you are able to be more than you thought you could be. Hearing you say that makes me wonder if we unintentionally turn the volume down on our positive thoughts as well. Oh, 100% we can do. I think I think that's what I was used to. I mean, even if I look at my approach to doing maths, don't judge me, in secondary school, my first maths test, uh, I must have got something like 17%. Actually, I didn't get something like, I got 17%. And I remember it because back then, they would read out your, um, your results in front of the class. And so obviously for a kid that was already shy, lacking confidence and self-belief, to hear this 17% being read out in front of the class, that absolutely influenced my approach to maths up for the whole of my school life. And, if, and actually I think it informed my approach to academics because I just did not believe I was ever good at it. It informed how I approached things. It's only in, my, in recent years that I understand the way that I think and why I think the way that I think. So what changed your direction? I think it's a number of things that changed my direction. I think um, I didn't follow the usual, I would say it in inverted commas, I didn't follow the usual route um, of academia. So I didn't, I dropped out of my A-levels. Um, because frankly I didn't think I could do it um, I didn't get bad GPs. I mean it wasn't great I dropped out of my A-levels which as you can imagine my parents were overjoyed with when they discovered it <laughs> I didn't tell them um, and so I never went to uni and it was only years later that I went to uni when I was 30-something and discovered that I was a visual learner and so the light bulb went on I was like oh okay that's why I get it I'm a visual learner okay great um, so that was a real learning moment for me so it then informed me about my approach to academics so when I walk out of doing my degree which was in psychology and I'm a couple of marks away from a first, um, I break down crying inside the, I mean, God, so dramatic. Uh, I break down crying in the, lecturer's, in the lecturer's office. And when she's saying to me, look, Paul, we'd like you to think about doing a PhD. And I was like, don't be ludicrous woman. How can I do a PhD? I've only just learned, I, can, I didn't even know that I could do this much less do a PhD. I think it, it's a number of different moments along this journey which teaches me that, which is I think what makes me a great coach. Mm. Because recognizing that everybody's journey is different, but if we can get some of the learning quicker, it can impact the direction of my future. My future can really be different than my past. 
but I understand my presence. And there's something about that word intentional, which I daily learn. It's a great word. It is, because it acknowledges that this moment must be different from yesterday's moment. I choose for it to be different. Mm. I choose for it to be different. So you just spoke about the fact that, you know, you changed direction intentionally. Is this, and I'm talking about life. I'm talking about everything. I'm not just talking about session singing and portfolio consultancy and how you are with family and friends. I'm talking about everything. Is this what the dream was? No. (laughs) I did not have a dream. I was one of those kids, like many young people, who frankly had no damn idea about what I wanted to do. Society's expectation that you should know, that every young person should know what they want to do, is somehow deeply unrealistic sometimes. Not every young person will know what they want to do by the time they're 16. I had no idea. In fact, I actually think my mind was blank. I mean, how in the world do I get 17% in maths within five years? By the time I go to do my GCSEs, I do the middle paper, which means the highest you can get is a C. I actually get the C. Like, that was through hard work. And then I choose in brackets, I actually think it was my dad, choose to do accounts. Why in the world would I choose to do accounts at A-level? Like, hello. Because I didn't know whether I was into humanities. Okay, I knew I was good at languages, yeah? I was good at French and German. But in my mind back then, I'm not thinking that I could be an interpreter. In fact, I don't think I can do very much. I don't realise I'm good at talking. It's just a mind-blowing moment. Though people would look at my life and be like, but you had the most perfect like, family life. Like, you had the mum, the dad, it was included in, you were in church. Then you, you know, your family were always welcoming and outgoing and so blah. Though it looked like it, but internally, I was having the biggest struggle of my life, trying to fit in, thinking I was a a black boy at times, but also wishing I was white. Mm-hmm. Being being recognizing that I was of mixed parentage, but hating my hair. Growing up in Berkshire, talking kind of well, yeah. but living in London and realising I can't talk slang. I don't know how to do it. Being excluded from the Asian kids because they knew I wasn't Asian. Being excluded by the white boys because they knew obviously I wasn't white. And being excluded from the black boys because they, because according to my hair, I'm not black. So never really feeling like I fitted in anywhere. I mean, because you were talking about the fact that you didn't know that you were good at speaking, you didn't know any of these things, whatever. Not whatever, but you know what I mean. Mm -hmm. Um, Got to that stage. 
when you did start to recognize what you were good at or what felt good for you how long did it take for family friends and family friends and you know colleagues or students or whoever it was to also join the pool train you know how how long did it take them to recognize in you what you were starting to learn about you see I, I I'm not entirely sure that I still that I will even that I'll even concede that I'm good at many things I know I do many things and I know that I at its basic core I must be good at it but I think this is a conversation between what comes out of my mouth but also how I feel because I think internally I still struggle to believe that I'm good at many things see this is what's funny though because you said at your grandpa's funeral that was when you realised you were age 13 that was when you first acknowledged that you were a man everyone in the family was like this is on you you can do this so clearly they believed it before that date right yes which is why i asked the question because and it's it's so so interesting and complex because you're saying okay i was able to in that moment do it thrive recognize that i could do it and that i'm a man however 74 years on because you're now 99 74 years ah, on, rude <laughs> 74 years on you are still using that and many other things to create doubt it's it's just powerful and that's not that's not a criticism i i acknowledge it because it's something powerful it's something many people go through but it's not often spoken or acknowledged and i think it's because like humans there is a disparity and a cognitive dissonance that occurs with how i often feel about myself which is different from what I do and different from how people perceive me. And I think this is one of the things that I, I have learned along this journey, that we are, as humans, we are often one grand, big mess. Mess in a good way, but sometimes we are contradictions of our own existence. So when I was, when I'm rolling out big projects and whatever else, I present this confidence, I present this um, competence. People buy into that. They buy into this inspirational guy, but they don't realize that internally, and so they shouldn't realize, but they don't realize that internally, there is this battle that I'm having with myself. And so the narrative is so overwhelmingly tiresome that you've got to keep getting to the place where you are consciously competent how how do you map that path out then if you don't know how to get there but you know now that being subconsciously competent is exhausting how do you map that path one of the things that i found works for me at times and i probably could do it better and probably do it more often is remind myself of my value and my competence times I look back at my life and realize the things that I did in order to fit in or to or the people that at times at different episodes of my life I've put myself around more around broken people so that I could be the fixer or I've put myself in positions whereby I could be 
in terms of a hierarchy, could feel like I was the one that was in control. When really, at its very core, I was deeply out of control with my own journey. So in order to mask that, place yourself around other people who appear in inverted commas broken, eh? Because really, I'm the one that's broken. I'm the one that needs fixing. But at that time in my life, I can't acknowledge that. I don't want to acknowledge it. It's not my thing. And that's why I kind of understand how I look back at my life and I, I regret certain things, regret certain of my behaviours. I regret some of the people that I had around me at the time. But I don't just sit in regret. I've got to be intentional about it, how I move forward. So it's been a really fascinating journey for me. I will also say that to observe your journey has been spectacular. Because I think those interacting with you or those who are still around you can probably, they probably experience you differently. And so everything you're saying now, not every listener will know it to be true, but I can definitely attest to the fact that yeah, what you what you just said, the parts that you've just spoken about, about being intentional and about ensuring that, you know, your approach to things is, well, you didn't use these words, but your approach to things is a healthy one to an extent because you still have to quieten those voices. Um, you know, it comes through when, when speaking to you these days, as opposed to before when you would say these words, because this is what's funny, 20 years ago, you would say these same words, actually. So these same sentences would come out of your mouth and you could motivate and inspire people with the same things you're saying today. But your point is that you didn't believe them then. You just, you're a wordsmith. You knew what to say. You knew how to do the job that you were doing at the time. But you had to get to a stage where you could believe it for you. Church had a big part to play in that because I think we learned and learnt and learn to say the right things. And so this journey has shone a spotlight on me and what I need to do about me. What self-care do I need to do? What values do I hold? What value do I have? Which bits do I not care about anymore? With all you know now, who or what do you choose to focus your energy on? It's changeable. I focus much more on developing positive relationships that are based upon a modicum of truth and honesty. I focus much more on being clear about who I am with people and how people are with me and who they are to me. I focus much more on being intentional about living in this moment because I can't fix the past but what I can do is appreciate this moment if I was to appreciate this moment it causes me to become attracted tomorrow to more moments really hear that thank you so much So I want to do something called simple sentence. You are basically starting or finishing a sentence and it's just one sentence. Okay. I am best at. I am best at listening, thinking, talking, 
finding solutions, mapping a path, mitigating risk, um, thinking in a 360 way. Go ahead and sell yourself. Right? <laughs> How about that? <laughs> uh, deconstructing conflict. Excellent. I don't like. I don't like um, constraints. I don't like fixedness. I don't like rightness. I don't like um, judgment. Okay. I didn't think I could accomplish. I didn't think I could accomplish growing up. I didn't think I could accomplish academic achievement. I didn't think I could be self-employed for six years. I didn't think I could um, be open with myself. I didn't think I could love me. Oh, powerful. I know, right? <laughs> Soon I will. Soon I will progress me. Soon I will reduce internal criticism again. Soon I will choose differently. Soon I will enjoy this moment. It's definitely going on a poster. <laughs> mm -hmm. In my life, I have learned that. In my life, I have learned that everybody's journey is different. In my life, I have learned that value is more important. Feeling valued is more important than being valued. In my life, I have learned that my perception of myself today does not have to be my perception of myself tomorrow. What will be better tomorrow than it is today? me i will be better tomorrow than today so the last section is called letter to yourself the instructions are simple you're writing a letter to either your future or your past self what does it say only rule start your letter dear paul so i'm writing this to my past self right okay dear paul I hope you're okay. But I kind of know that you're not. If there was one piece of advice that I could give to you is to be okay to be different. Be okay to not be like everybody else. You already know you're not like everybody else. But be okay to be that. Fitting in is hard and it will only erode you.
be confident that even when you don't feel like you know where you're going, you are still walking forward. You feeling like you're lost doesn't mean that you are lost. Be attracted to discovering who you are rather than being scared of it. Be okay to discover who you are by the experiences that you have rather than the experiences that you have defining who you are. The next few years are probably really challenging. And if you think that they define you, will make it really hard for the future. So be okay to not be okay. You don't realize this now, but your future is more than what you can even think about. What you're going to go through is not nice, but there's also some really great moments coming as well. And when those moments come, they will overshadow the darker times. Your friendship circles will change. The only reason why you're holding on to some friendships is because they help define you. But don't become disappointed when they change because they are changing in the same way that you are changing. You just need to be aware that the change is okay. Your kindness will always be the gold part of you. Your giving nature will often be abused. But you will become better at reading people. Do not give your gold to everyone. Choose who you can give it to. In addition, you were never destined to travel the same road as everybody else. It wasn't who you were. Your life up to this point has not been the same road like everybody else's. So be okay to be different. You don't believe it now, but you are actually an academic. You can actually study. You just didn't realize how to, and nobody taught you how to. But you will achieve more than many of your peers. And you should be proud of that. So don't let 17% in maths dictate how you deal with challenges, situations, challenging situations. Laugh a lot and love loads. Love loads. Me. Love it. Thank you so much. It's been great having you on the show. And I look forward to having you on many more panels and and actually to having the same interview or similar one in a year's time. I'd love to see what's changed and how Oh my god. How how your life has progressed and how your thinking has. Because one of the things that you mentioned today or or the one of the themes that you kept touching on is that your journey is fluid. So Mm -hmm. I'll see in future where you go and what you do with everything. Thank you. You're welcome.
This has been a Dream Days Experience production.